You're listening to the Forever on the Fly podcast. What up, baby nerds? Welcome to episode numero cuatro of Forever on the Fly podcast. Your bi-weekly dose of aviation inspiration, education, and entertainment. I'm your host, Jose, and some people call me Hose B. And I'm Diane. People just call me Diane. <laughs> and we're here, you guessed it, to get you guys hooked, hooked on, on aviation. aviation. I'm really excited to introduce our next guest on the show. She's a real-life Shiro, flying MH65s for the U.S. Coast Guard. She's here to share her journey and what it took to become a Coast Guard aviator. The challenges involved, stories about her first life saved, and her work as a mentor with the Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. I was so stoked to chat with this incredible woman. As many of you guys might know, uh, once upon a time I was enlisted in the U.S. Coast Guard and still to this day, I really look up to Coast Guard aviators and the life-saving work that they do. She has some really incredible stories to share. And just a small reminder to punch that follow or subscribe button and that reviews and ratings really help us out on the Apple Podcast app and, of course, are much appreciated. We always love to hear from you guys and what you think of the show and always what we can do better. We sure do. And we hope you guys enjoy the episode. Roll it, senorita. Roll in. Miranda Faye. We weren't going to be able to get anywhere near them and hoist them. So that made things a lot more dynamic. Hey, I'm Miranda Fay, and I'm Forever on the Fly. Hi, Miranda. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to have a female on the show. Finally, <laughs> you're our first female interview, and I just started noticing a trend of like, dude, we're only, we've only interviewed dudes i know you are our first female so congratulations you <laughs> and far between in aviation and then even smaller in helicopters for sure so it was exciting to be on here i know so yay um that's exciting and your coast guard a uh, girl after my own heart i'm a little jealous of the career path that you've taken because it was something that i wanted to do a while ago and i just ended up well, it just wasn't my path, but um, <laughs> amazing that you were able to become a Coast Guard helicopter pilot. So, yeah, thank you. It's been a dream of mine forever, so I'm super excited about it. So, Senorita, what made you want to join the Coast Guard? Um, so when I think back on it, I remember watching the Hurricane Katrina footage when I was younger. That was all over the news, mm. and I saw these orange helicopters just pulling people off roofs, and I thought that was just the most amazing job I could think of because they were you know, saving people in the worst time of their life. And for some reason, I just remember sitting there on the couch and I was like, oh, I'm going to do that one day. And I kind of went away from it, but I have a whole bunch of family members that fly. So really, as I was going through high school, I just kept having this feeling that I wanted to be a pilot. I didn't know how in the world that was going to happen because I was a girl from small town, Indiana. But man, I just had this feeling that this is what I wanted to do. Um, my parents were super supportive of it, but they were like, let's see if you even like being in the air. So they gave me a few lessons as Christmas presents and stuff, and I was hooked right away. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. What uh, were the lessons? Were they in a Cessna or a helicopter? Um, I took one in the Cessna, and then after I went to the Coast Guard Academy, so I got into the Coast Guard Academy for college. Um, I knew I wanted to be in the Coast Guard because I wanted to fly helicopters, and they had the more humanitarian mission. Um, for some reason, I applied to all the academies, got into all of them. So then I had this decision of what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do aviation. Um, and I still wanted to fly helicopters from that news reel. So I ended up choosing the Coast Guard Academy because of that mission in particular. Yeah. Uh, once I was there, my parents um, were like, okay, again, this is kind of a crazy thing for you to do. So let's see if you want to actually fly helicopters. And I flew a uh, little Robinson for the first time ever, was so bad at it. It terrified <laughs> me so much, but it was also the most like exhilarating, fun thing in the world. So I was hooked. Yeah, twenty two is little different than flying those uh, sixty fives. You got up there now. <laughs> yeah, much better uh, AFCS and trim. Yeah, that right. Exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hover button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So, yeah, dude, that's I could totally relate to that. Just the mission of the Coast Guard and just wanting to get out there and help people with that skill. I mean, that just says something about you and who you are and the things that you want to do in the world and and your heart. So that's amazing. You went to the Coast Guard Academy right after high school or did you wait a couple of years? How old were you when you initially went to school? So I went right after high school. So I was 18 when I, you know, signed the dotted line, yeah. did the oath, swore <laughs> that I was going to defend the constitution. And um, yeah, I still had this dream of becoming a pilot, uh, but that just seemed so far away in my mind at the time as I was going through school and everything. Um, so that was 18 years old when I made that decision. Nice. Pretty big decision at 18, for Heck sure. yeah. Right. Impressive that you got into all those academies as well. Like, oh, kudos thank you. to you. Yeah, I, I worked really hard at it because I just knew I wanted to fly helicopters and I knew that was not going to be an easy thing to do outside of it. So in my mind, I was like, oh, obviously go to an academy. So I just worked my butt off until I made that happen. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. What was the academy like? Was it like a boot camp on steroids or what? Um, for the first year, for sure. It's uh, it's all the little things of boot camp, you know, like the squaring your meals, squaring your corners, greeting everyone by their last name and sir, ma'am, and marching in section to class. You do that for the first year. So it is year. intense. Oh my um, the workload <laughs> as well is super intense. Um, I think at one point I was taking like 24 credit hours. Wow. And you have to do a sport. And I was involved in a bunch of clubs and everything. So it was, it's a lot. They really? demand a lot out of you, but. Um, Superwoman. Yeah, no joke, man. <laughs> Everyone there for sure is. But, you know, it really set me up for my future and what I wanted to do. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't change that. What was the attrition like right there at the school? It sounds pretty intense. Was there it a lot of. It is pretty intense. Um, I'm not exactly sure like the cut. numbers wise, but I know my class. We came in um, at a time where they weren't accepting many students. So we came in with about 230, 235 of us, and we graduated 195. So we actually kept a lot of people. Uh, most classes had a little bit more people that, you know, just decided it's not for them or um, can't make it academically or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Any other different reason. Couldn't cut it. Yeah, Dang. exactly. Dang. Dang. That's a a little inside joke. Um, I say dang a lot. (laughs) Dang a lot. Going back and editing these podcasts, it's just every other, like, sudden he's like, dang. Dang. So, like, she told me about this, like, probably two weeks ago, and I've been, like, thinking about it a lot, you know? And one of the last interviews we just did, the last interview we just did, I kept, like, my dangs to three, and we told the guy that we were interviewing that. And he was like, dude, this whole interview process, I just wanted to hear dang from you the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. And I was like, dude, I'm trying to work on it, but I'm going to make my own shirt to so just say dang on it. <laughs> you can make yeah. it like a drinking game anytime, yeah. you, say- <laughs> anytime you say dang, dang. got to take a shot. <laughs> that would make the interviews very interesting, I yeah. think. <laughs> They'd be longer than an hour, probably. Would, yeah. Probably. It'd be worse than that song, Roxanne. <laughs> Roxanne. <laughs> You don't have to turn here forever. Yep. Yeah, our guests will never be able to leave. You would be like, that <laughs> podcast sucks. Oh <laughs> that guy just kept saying dang the whole time. <laughs> okay, well, All right, we're getting off topic. Getting off topic. <laughs> All right, so going back, when you were going through the academy, did and you knew right off the bat that you wanted to fly, Were there was there a specific path in the academy that you had to take in order to get into flight school by the end of it? Or what was the process like? to get into flight school and did you have anybody to mentor you along the way that kind of solidified your desire to um, fly for the Coast Guard? Oh, absolutely. Um, So there is not a particular path. You just have to apply to flight school um, your senior year and then you go through an application process, um, a medical process, and then you get selected if they have a spot for you. Um, But through the entire year, I or the entire four years, I just made it known to every single person that was on uh, the academy grounds that I wanted to be a pilot. And I would just talk about it all the time. So I got really close to a bunch of the instructors. We have military instructors that some of them were pilots. So my academic advisor was a pilot. Um, My sponsor family, he was a pilot. Um, There was a few other 
people um, within the command structure. So mm -hmm. um, Laura Holbeck, she worked with the cadets. A lot of people were afraid of her because she's the one that would get us in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but I really reached out to her and um, she became a fabulous mentor for me because she, you know, was a 65 pilot and she had a family and she, you know, was doing great things, had gone on deployments with the Coast Guard and had done these, this amazing thing. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I really looked to her for advice and she provided so much mentoring to me um, throughout the process and was able to, you know, just give me tidbits of advice um, as I was going through and really solidified that I knew what I was getting into when I applied to flight school. Um, there were countless other people, but um, there was she's a, the one that kind of email mentorship for flying. And that was incredible for me. It really, again, solidified that this is what I wanted to be doing. This is the mm -hmm. community I wanted to be a part of. Yeah. And that's so invaluable to have like a mentor. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand like having a mentor could go a long way and just helping you get where you need to get and just guiding you, you know, and being like a rock whenever you need it to kind of let you know not to give up. Oh, for sure. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the countless other women and, uh, you know, some of the men mentors that I've had as well um, that have really steered my career path and encouraged me and told me, you know, I can set, do whatever I set my mind to. Um, yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah, and you made it known. You put it out there. I know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I like, probably don't, annoyed people like, how much I talked about it. <laughs> no, we learned a new phrase from this guy, York Galland. I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, the I Fly Heli guy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, and he calls that being pleasantly persistent. And it's like being able to toe the line between being persistent and being annoying about something. But like, you know, if you can find that line and just be pleasantly persistent and keep showing up and keep talking to the people that have the things that you want and um, that can help you along the way, that's an invaluable skill to have to be able to put yourself out there and say, this is what I want. You have it. How do I get to where you are? When I was in the Coast Guard, and I was kind of talking about wanting to go to flight school and such. Because um, I joined after high school when I was 17. I did the whole, I just enlisted for four years. And so I didn't have a college degree. So I, I didn't do the academy path, which probably would have been a better option if I was like really serious about wanting to go to flight school at the Coast Guard. But um, everybody had told me like, oh, well, you're a girl. You'd be a shoe in for flight school. They would pick you up immediately. Like... How, does that carry any weight whatsoever? Did you feel like you got any sort of preferential treatment because you were a female getting into flight school? Or do you think that it was right, right on there on par with the guys and how competitive it was for them? You know, I had people say that exact same thing to me, but going through the application process for flight school, which is very rigorous, um, I would say that doesn't even hold a candle to the actual process. Like, um, they could care less what my gender yeah. was. They were like, because the, the awesome thing about the Coast Guard is if they're sending you to flight school, they expect you to make it through. Like they don't, um, you know, I went to Navy flight school and they just sent bodies, it seems like. Mm -hmm. um, for the Coast Guard, it's like they really, really invest in you because flight school is expensive and they want, if you get a pilot spot, they want you to be a pilot. So um, all they cared about was the merit aspect of it and whether you had proved that, yes, this is what you want to do. You're very serious about it and you would make um, a good candidate for it. Did you have a commitment that you had to make after they sent you to flight school of an additional amount of years? How much did they have you sign away again? Yes. So that is quite a lot. Um, I got five years of um, required service after graduating from the academy. And then I, on top of that, after getting my wings, I have eight years as well. Oh my God. So it's a long time. Yes. You have to be very, very serious about wanting to do it because it is a long time. Might as well Thankfully, going to flight school counts as two of those years. Is it the so same that. for other branches? Do they have to sign away eight years after they go to flights? Uh, probably not. Right. I mean, like army or I Marines. Went, when I went to go talk to the recruiter for the army, when I was inside, when I was in the army, uh, and I was thinking about going through their warrant officer program. They told me, the guy told me that it was going to be about an eight year, um, enlistment for it. Now it wasn't all going to be active, mm. but yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, that's a lot of time. So I guess they really do need to make sure, yes, you're serious. Yes, this is something that you want to do and you're going to be sticking around. And how um, often do you get to fly? I fly probably three to four times a week and that's without having SAR cases. Oh, wow. Training. That's that's just scheduled training flights. So it's fantastic. I'm at a small unit, so we... um, have are able to spread out our flight time between all the pilots really, really well. It's, it's been fantastic. So you fly the MH 65 E. So for anybody who doesn't know what an MH 65 is, that is the dolphin. Anytime I hear that sound <laughs> coming down the beach, I have like, my ears just perk up. I'm like, yes, where is it? Where is it? She's like, now. So when you went to flight school after the academy, what did they have you train in? Did you immediately go to helicopters or did they have you train in airplanes first? What was the process like for that? No, so it's um, Navy flight school that we go to. So it's the Navy pilots, the Marine pilots, and then the Coasties just thrown in there with the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> so the Navy is all about making their jet pilots, you know, so they put everyone in the T-6 Bravo to start out. Well, actually, originally we start out in Cessnas, fly a little bit just mm-hmm. to like make sure we actually like it. And then they throw us into the T6. And so, you know, the first time you're trying to land something, you're going 240 right. uh, knots and you're terrifying. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. So, yeah. yeah, it was fast though. Going from a Cessna to that is <laughs> way, way scary. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, so we do T6s. Um, that's where, we, you know, we get our... Um, we do everything from just learning how to land and flare and we get to do a break over top of the airfield consistently. Um, you get to do all of your aerobatics throughout there. You're flying in a G suit, you're flying on oxygen. You've got all this crazy stuff going on. And then you go through your initial instrument phase as well. So a really, really fun time. And that's primary. And then after primary, you um, get selected in the coast guard for either fixed wing or rotary wing. Um, everyone in the Coast Guard generally wants rotary wing, which is not the case in the Navy or the Marine Corps necessarily. Um, a lot of people really want jets or something like P3s there. So um, it was funny, in the coast, when you're a coasting student, they're like, oh, so you want to go helicopters, whereas they would never say that to any other students right? Just because we have the cool version of uh, helicopters, I would say. Totally. Um, so once you finish primary in the T6, you then get selected for rotary like I did um, I got super lucky they had a spot for me and I took that right away and then we go and fly the TH-57s and then do basically the same thing we did in primary over again but learning how to fly helicopters got it now part of the process of you going through flight school was there any like part of it where you like came into like a good amount of adversity something where you were like oh crap you know do I need to do this or can I do this? You know, like a oh shit moment kind of deal, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. So I never in my life have I wanted to fly jets. Never. Like that's just not been my mentality, my dream or anything. So when I was flying the T6, I got so sick. Uh, Like I was every single flight, I was throwing up like three or four times, couldn't keep anything down. It was awful. They have the spin and puke chair. I had logged 24 hours in the spin and puke chair, just trying to make it through this course. And it was, it was so scary because I was sitting there. I was like, oh my goodness, am I even made to fly? Is this something that I will be able to do? You know, you can't throw up on your check ride. They won't pass you. Like that's just not something that's going to happen. So miraculously, I didn't get sick on my check ride and was able to solo and was able to go on in the program, but it took a long time. And I threw up on, I would say a majority of my flights, but I got really good at memorizing emergency procedures (laughs) and being able to recite them as I was getting sick. It was crazy girl but honestly that was just another instance of having a great mentor um somebody else that was in the um the instructor cadre um he had also gotten really sick in primary and so he was really good at like um 
just encouraging me and telling me that I was going to make it and it's going to be okay. And, you know, I was going to come out at the end a better pilot because of it. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Girl, I feel you though. If I do any sort of airplane aerobatics, I get so sick. I'm messed up for days. So I think <laughs> I'd probably be in exactly in the same boat as you. Speaking of boats, I even got sick on the cutter that I was stationed on. I got sick like every single time we deployed. It was absolutely awful. So <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Oh, my gosh. That's, but you made it through. I did, <laughs> thankfully. Yes. You know, some people, I mean, some people would have given up, you know, but they would have said, hey, this isn't for me. And I guess I should just stop while I'm ahead without having to continue with the potential of failing because of, you know, something like that. So good on you for sticking through it and um, overcoming that because I know that's not easy. <laughs> if, you, if you fail, are you still on the hook for those eight years? You're not. No. no? Once, you, oh. once you get your wings, that you're it. on the hook for the eight it. years. I would have yes. been like, oh, my God. Por qué? Por qué? <laughs> Why? Yeah, that'd be scary. Yeah, that would suck. So being stationed in Houston, you're down there in the in the good old Gulf. So you've probably experienced a lot of hurricanes and crazy weather. I know there's that's what everybody always says um, about Coast Guard pilots is like those those pilots are insane with the weather that they fly in. Uh, what has been your experience so far? You you got stationed there in 2019 and. And here we are today. So how many, yeah, what's the craziest stuff that you've flown in? <laughs> the craziest stuff I've flown in, so we had five hurricanes this season, just this season. It was craziness. And they all, most of them hit our AOR, our area of responsibility, or just a little bit closer into Florida. So we were still um, operating and responding. Um, so that was crazy. I think the worst weather that I've flown in um, so far has been the day before one of the hurricanes. I don't remember which one it was, but it was, we just, you know, we're just trying to see what was going on with the weather. And so we had a case trying to get out as far as we could. I was flying along and then all of a sudden I'm just falling one little piece of land. And all of a sudden I was like, Ooh, I can't see outside of our rotor disc really, except for like just straight down. And so right then and there, um, I was just like, we need to turn around. And my aircraft commander was like, yep, let's turn around. And so we turned around immediately. Um, thankfully it wasn't a search and rescue case. So we didn't have to like keep going, yeah. um, or anything like that, but it was, uh, it's pretty gnarly, you know, it started raining. We got socked in pretty quickly. And, um, thankfully we knew we weren't very far from home plate. So we knew, where we were flying super mm -hmm. well. So we were able to get around it. And with our new aircraft update, we have a fantastic radar system. So we were able to pull that up really quickly, our weather radar, get it going. And we avoided um, something that could have been a lot worse. We avoided it really quickly. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, when you get into like a situation like that and you do get into IMC, I take it you guys could just go IFR, you know, if you have oh, to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? And for anybody who out there who doesn't know what IMC or IFR means, it's Instrument Meteorological Conditions or Instrument Flight Rules, which is what you the rules that you fly under if you're in those instrument conditions where you have to fly solely by your instruments and you can't see outside of the aircraft. So that's what we're talking about here. Um, so what would what would be the case if that was a search and rescue? mission. So you got deployed, you get out there and boom, you're just in the soup. Yeah. So we have, um, procedures with our center. So the tower around here, and we just ask for a certain type of departure from the airfield. And then basically they just drop us to a point in space and we just circle down and we get down as close to the water as possible. And, um, we can put in a computer, um, approach to a hover into our aircraft and we can come down to about 50 feet, oh, just wow. the computer flying it. Yeah. And then, you know, hopefully we break, we plan on breaking out before then. Mm -hmm. Um, but we just, as soon as we break out, we'll come down, break yeah. out and then start our search as necessary because unfortunately people, um, get into bad situations and, um, go missing in not the best weather. So we yeah. have to be able and training for, um, terrible, terrible weather to be able to go and do our mission. Do you do a lot of simulator training or is it all hands-on? Um, we do have some simulator training. We do that about once a year 
um, just for proficiency wise, you know, we can't practice auto rotations and stuff mm -hmm. in the aircraft. So we do, do those things in the simulator, but, um, most of our training is in our actual aircraft and we just simulate that we are socked in and we're just coming down, but obviously we have the people in the back looking out for us and keeping us safe. Man, mad respect, senorita. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> are you and the crew pretty tight? Do you fly yes. with mostly the same uh, crew members when you go out on, when you're on duty? Well, so the Air Station Houston is super, super small, like compared to Coast Guard Air Stations. And mm -hmm. I absolutely love that because it enables me to know all of our um, flight mechs and all of our rescue swimmers really well. And, you know, we can build that um, trust and communication and bond so that I know that, you know, they're doing their absolute best and they know that I'm doing my absolute best as well. That's another thing I love about the 65 community is because it's such a small aircraft, we're all working together so, so closely that, um, you know, I've got my flight mech's head right behind me and he's watching the same instruments I'm watching. So I'm not about to do anything wrong because they will call me out on it. Nice. Uh, <laughs> and I would hope so. Yeah. Cool. When um, you're flying in the hurricanes, is it like that movie Guardian with Kevin Costner? You know, the one in the Coast Guard? <laughs> Why does everyone bring that? So why does everyone bring up that movie? Like when, whenever you say, "Oh, I used to be in the coast," they're like, "Oh, like Kevin Costner and Ashton Kutcher." I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Well, it's the only one that I know. <laughs> it looked, a lot of like risk dope. management decisions that would have gone very poorly in that movie. Very poorly. They actually they filmed that at at Cape D, where I was oh, stationed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was quote unquote Alaska, and actually the scene where they rescued all the people out of the cave. People would actually get stuck in that cave all the time, and we'd have to, yeah, coordinate with people to get them out of there because the tide would come up and they'd get sucked <laughs> out. It was, yeah, yeah, no, that was actually a pretty gnarly spot. But I know every single time people always have to mention the Guardian. I don't know. I just like I think of the movie and I think of them flying in the movie, and I think of you flying in the hurricane, and I'm like, yeah, that probably pretty close. You know, there's some fat Dude, waves. You know, I, a lot of wind. <laughs> I start thinking about just the opening scene where they're out there on a rescue case and they're like their freaking fuel light is on and i'm like wait a second well how far are you away from shore and you're just right they're like yeah we got fuel and kevin costner's like if we leave they die yeah if you don't go you're all going to die <laughs> come on bro where in the decision making process where, where did the that... swiss cheese happened oh, yeah. you know they're <laughs> It sounds yeah. a lot cooler than our typical bingo conversations tend to go. <laughs> yeah. Bingo. <laughs> nice. I, I only, I never actually got to ride along on any um, helicopters when I was in the Coast Guard. We did a bunch of heli ops and the, the crew members up there would always send us down some candy in the basket or some <laughs> goodies. So. We do that to bribe them <laughs> so that they like training with us. <laughs> nice. I mean, it was always such a cool experience. I, I mean, obviously just... I fell in love with helicopters from working just with them and under them being like, oh, I don't want to be down here. I want to be up there. Yeah, we had somebody, one of, their, one of the trainees had hit their tail rotor on our mast one time when we were out doing heliops. And we all had to like hit the deck. There's sparks flying everywhere. They ran off and did an emergency landing at the helipad nearby. And luckily nothing was, you know, too broken up, but Oh, that's crazy. I couldn't appreciate exactly how terrifying that was until oh I gosh. became a pilot. And I'm, I was, oh my gosh, that would have been so terrifying. <laughs> I would have been code brown. Code brown. <laughs> I just shit myself. <laughs> Lovely. That's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. There was another pretty crazy story um, about a guy who was stationed there before I had gotten there that electrocuted himself by grabbing the static line. Well, he had like the um, lightning rod or whatever you would call it um, yeah. to you know, jump the electricity. And I guess he thought that the electricity had jumped. So yeah. he reached up and he grabbed the weight and just boom, got electrocuted like, from it. That's a job. So in order for them to lower <laughs> the basket. Low on the <laughs> so, so we're in the... This was just normal crew member shit. Like, this is what you had to do. Yeah, the yeah. helicopter would be hovering above you. We're in, like, 20-foot seas, you know, sometimes. And the helicopter is having to adjust. Like, it's crazy mad skills. No, I bet. And um, 
so they're lowering the basket. The, before they lower the basket down, they have to ground it to the boat. Oh, that makes so, sense. So they are sending down the this line um, with like a weight on it at the end of it. And we all like are wearing helmets and we're running around the deck trying to avoid getting hit by this thing. And they're just <laughs> <laughs> the crew member in the back has to be like, "Why were these one?" And then just drop it um, on the deck. And everyone's just hoping you don't get hit by it. And we're just running around the deck like chickens with their heads cut off. Yeah, it was kind of a, a shit show. It's <laughs> no, not even something I thought of yet. I guess. Oh, great! Now I have to add that to my mental model as I'm trying to hover. <laughs> Just try not to hit the guys on the boat with the static line. Yeah. You're just going to be looking out your window and be like, oh, God. (laughs) What was your first save? What was the first life that you ever saved? And how did that feel? Did it solidify your uh, the feeling that you were in the right place and that you were doing what you were supposed to be doing? Yeah, so that's actually a pretty funny story. Um, so my first life saved was um, a lost kayaker. He, there's a lot of marshy land north of Galveston, Texas. And, you know, people go out there and fish, not pay attention to the tides. The tide will go out and it's just marshland that they're stuck in and you can't really get anywhere. So thankfully, this guy had his cell phone and was able to call for help. And so we knew exactly where his location was. That was nice. There was no searching involved. We just went directly there and picked him up. Um, I also was qualified at this time. I had just qualified actually in sitting um, on the right seat. So I was the one that was going to hoist. This is like the first time, one of the first times I was hoisting in the right seat. I was very nervous. We get the call. We're ready to go. It was like 1130 at night. So had only been like asleep for an hour. Waked up. I was like, oh gosh, we're doing this. Okay. And so we go and, um, I'm in the right seat. Um, thankfully it was just as we trained. So I felt fairly comfortable. It was a pretty dark night out. So that was a little difficult. I didn't really have eyes on him very much. So I'm just, you know, looking out into the blackness, trying to find whatever I can use to hover, Mm -hmm. um, to keep that point solid, but, um, had a fantastic, um, flight mech in the back. And he, you know, was able to con me exactly where I needed to go. And that was amazing. Um, We put the basket down and it's marshland. So we expected it, like it started coming up and I was like, oh, this smells bad. I was like, this smells really bad. And um, they're like, oh yeah, it's just the mud. It's just the mud. I was like, okay, whatever. And so we we pull him up and uh, he gets in the aircraft. We pick up our swimmer. We actually go and take him. His wife was waiting, like his wife and the police were waiting probably 2000 yards away on interstate 45 and just couldn't get to him. Yeah. So we dropped them off in a parking lot with his wife and the police and he was good to go. Our rescue swimmers comes back on the, um, the headset and was like, Oh my gosh, guys. It's like, that's not something great to hear. I was like, what, what's happening? He's like, the guy brought the fish with him. And so he had been <laughs> lost. He had like a, <laughs> a backpack with all his personal belongings, a Yeti cooler. And our swimmer was like, you can take one thing, but that's it. And the guy decides to bring his fish. Like, horrible oh the whole time. Oh my God. He left the Yeti cooler. Like a, he left the Yeti cooler. Those things are like 500 bucks. Right? That's what, what I thought. The heck? Dude, you can take it one was... thing. He's like, I'm going to take my fish. <laughs> I earned this. Dude. That's crazy. It had become like a unit joke that I, my first life save was, was a fish. Was a fish. I, I had never caught a fish before fishing, but I can catch one with a helicopter in a basket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was that was pretty interesting. Um, but it was really exciting to be able to say that, like, this is what I trained for. This is what I want to do. And I got to say that I accomplished it. So that's cool. awesome. Amazing. First life saved. <laughs> that's so that's such an awesome story with the fish. I still can't believe he left the Yeti cooler. <laughs> yeah, Freaking hilarious. Um, were there any other cases thus far in your career that have really stuck out as memorable or kind of a crazy story? Um, yeah, I had another one where I saved, uh, we got two lives saved. And this was actually one of the first cases with our brand new version of the 65. So we're flying the 65 Echo now, all glass cockpit. It's awesome. Um, gives us a great radar. Um, 
a lot more enhanced search capabilities, which is fantastic. So it was really cool to have just transitioned to that aircraft and to be able to go on a case pretty much right away. Um, so for that case, I was woken up at two in the morning because we had heard of a vessel that had run aground um, off of one of the rivers, um, probably about 30 minutes south of my air station. And so we went out there um, in the transit of us getting ready to go and flying out there, the weather started deteriorating. wasn't wasn't terrible, um, but definitely the the um, there were storms coming, and um, they wanted to get off their boat right away. The water um, picked up, and the waves were kicking pretty bad. Um, started causing some issues with their boat, and they started taking on water. So we really needed to get them out of there. Um, small boat. Um, responded as well, and they weren't able to get anywhere close to them, but thankfully they had located them, so we didn't have to do a lot of searching again. We just went directly there. Um, we found them right away, and we noticed that their sailboat was just getting rocked back and forth, so this mast was swinging almost from one side of the water to the other side of the water and back, so we knew right away we weren't going to be able to get anywhere near them and hoist them, so that made things a lot more dynamic. Because, you know, we can't get our rescue somewhere too close to the boat. We don't want to get tied up in that mast with our cable or anything like that. So um, that was pretty interesting. Um, just the what, the game planning of what the heck are we going to do to get these people off. Um, thankfully, it was shallow enough. Our rescue swimmer was able to, you know, get onto the boat, pull the people off the boat, and swim them out one at a time. So swim them out. Um the waves were going kind of crazy. You can, um, I think I sent you the video. You can see them in the hoist cam footage. Uh, you can see the waves crashing right onto the boat. And um, pretty scary, but we were able to get the um, hoist done well. We rescued two people, dropped them off at, um, rescued them, flew away, went to Station Freeport, uh, the Coast Guard station there. They had cleared the parking lot for us, and then we um, landed in the parking lot delivered the two people and they took them to the local hospital. And then from there, we were able to fly away and go home. So it was only like a two hour evolution and we were able to you know, rescue those two people. But man, that sailboat was scary. Like Dang. normally you don't hoist to a sailboat anyways, but normally you're not having to worry about the sailboat's mast, just mm -hmm. doing wild and crazy things. So um, pretty dynamic one, um, especially with the weather coming down, it started raining halfway through. So visibility was restricted, but again, had a fantastic, fantastic crew that I trusted completely to help us work through those um, issues and able to get the job done. Were they crying when you like you guys, when they got into the helicopter? Were they like, <laughs> so I, they sit behind me, so I normally don't see them. They don't get on ICS or anything, so I can't hear them. But um, I did see them as when we had landed and they got off the, um, the aircraft to go into the, um, to go into the small boat station and they looked like they had been stuck out there for a long time and um, they just did not look like they were doing well. They, they were very thankful and they were super nice to us and like waved and said, thank you. But um, yeah, any of those situations, you know, those people are not, um, they're in, they're in bad situations and yeah. thankfully we're there to help them out. Have you had anybody ever come back to the station to thank you for uh, helping them out? Um, not in any of my cases so far, but we definitely have um, some people that we have, you know, crazy stories of uh, like lives saved. And those people, sometimes people will come back and it's, it's just an awesome experience to be able to see, like, get the closure of it because, mm -hmm. you know, when we drop somebody off at the hospital, like we don't really know what happens after that. Like there's no way for us to be able to track it unless they reach out back to us. And yeah. um, it's just really cool to see um, the impact you've been able to make and that you, you know, help someone. Yeah. Was it everything you thought it was going to be when you like first saw it in Katrina? You know, like that feeling of like succeeding, you know, and actually do, <laughs> well, and saving people, you know, or anything. So yeah. I haven't quite made it back to that whole 360 moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the more that I've gotten into the Coast Guard and seen what uh, we actually do, the more I'm just so, so thankful to be living my dream. Man, that's badass. Yeah. It's really cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty badass yeah I'm, not, I'm a little jealous i'm not gonna lie yeah me too yeah. i've been, <laughs> I've been flying like, for a while and it's i'm too like late. It's too i haven't saved us. anybody yeah <laughs> yes you have every time you deliver an organ transplant that i guess you're right. is saving a life i guess you're right yeah you guys do yeah. almost very very you, similar work best you know? best bet you're important. saving a life yeah 
It's a it's a it's a weird thing flying organ transplant. I don't know if anybody's listening that doesn't know what Jose and I both fly. Um, we for the majority of the time we fly medical teams that are transporting organs, um, organ transplants, and it's kind of the same thing when we drop off the organ. We don't get to see the result of what we just did. We don't get to see the patient. We don't get to meet the families. It's just sort of dropping off a cooler and a team and just knowing in our hearts that like, yeah, we just did something good, but, um, it's kind of a weird thing because somebody has to lose their life first in order for someone else to be saved. But you know, the people who are, the donors are just complete angels for, for doing that. But I mean, it's not exactly hoisting, uh, <laughs> anybody from a marshland, but, um, I'd like to do like search and rescue someday. I, yeah, I think we need to get, I need to get into utility first. That's, that's the thing in order to get to kind of doing what you do, you got to go through utility, get long line experience. It's a whole, you can go through the golf. It's a you whole could, thing. You don't have to. Yeah. Or golf, golf. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I'm going to go down to Mexico and just be like, screw it. I'll just save people on my <laughs> own. <laughs> Air Jose. Yeah. I'll figure it out. <laughs> the flying sombrero then, coming in. Right. Oh, who is that? It's a Mexicutioner. He's coming. Just have my own <laughs> have my own spray paint on the side of the helicopter. <laughs> Rescue one. Do it. And I'll be I'll come work for you in a few years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't tell you about the benefits package, but you know, be competitive. <laughs> Yeah, do I'm a little worried about the safety, but yeah. it's, it sounds good. I guarantee you Taco Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, maybe a couple no of No dental, but some Taco Tuesday. <laughs> taco Tuesday. <laughs> Who yeah. needs dental when you have ground beef and a tortilla? Hey. <laughs> Chorizo. Hey. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, my God. No, nah, but yeah, that is super, <laughs> that is super awesome, though, what you do. <laughs> All jokes aside, that's pretty badass, Senorita. Mad respect. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Coast Guard power, Semper P, girl power, <laughs> all good things, man. Insane. Have you had any emergencies? I had an instructor go, I uh, uh, get incapacitating vertigo in flight school. An instructor? Uh, that was terrifying because we also punched into the clouds in the mountains of Nashville. Oh and my God. I hadn't gone through instruments in the, the hills of Nashville 57 yet. <laughs> and we were, you know, doing our land nav following the road and we punch in and my instructor is like leaning his head over, like can't even sit up straight. And I'm like, okay, my controls and just start climbing away. Don't know where I am. Cause there's mountains like, you know, we're down on the road and there's mountains just up on both sides of us. And I just climb away and I hear all the other instructors on the radio popping up and getting, you know, pop up clearances and I would just start parroting what they're saying because I don't know I'm not you know I had done instruments in the T6 hadn't done instruments in the um the helicopter so I didn't know how to program anything I was like here we go so climbed up away finally got away from the mountains that was awesome found like a little hole of VFR and just circled there until I got up with approach got up with them and then they just started sending me off into the abyss and I was like okay here we go uh come to find out this was um we weren't supposed to be flying instruments on this so the instructor was fairly new as well he comes back around he can't I'm not letting him fly at all but he has his you know iPad and it's got the manual for the um GPS we have in there which was a GPS none of us were trained on so he goes through the manual figures out how to um plug in this approach Thankfully, plugs in this approach. We break out at like 300 feet or something, and I just lay in the helicopter and I walk away. I was like, "Oh my god!" I, I don't man. want to talk to anybody. I'm terrified. Like everyone comes running up to me, they're like, "Why were you on the radio? Like you're not the instrument pilot here." Because there was a student in the back seat. He was the one that's supposed to be flying instruments, but he was, you know, locked in the back seat and we can't land or do anything. And it was that was probably the scariest what? of my life. Yeah. Jesus, man, that <laughs> that's scary. Terrifying. Dang, how many hours did you have in a helicopter when that happened? You're pretty new, I guess. Ten. What? <laughs> wow. What? Ten hours and you? Yeah, went full it was. IMC? It was our first. Um, our first cross country. It's supposed to be all VFR, a fairly easy cross country. I had just learned the aircraft, just gotten out of contact phase, which just means like, I learned how to land. I learned how to take off. I learned an auto rotation. I know all the EPs, and then. 
Was this the, you said it was daytime or nighttime? Um, it was nighttime. Nighttime, and you guys just mm-hmm. boom right into the clouds. Yeah, and it, it was the weather was not predicted to be that bad. You know, had no idea, punched right into it. It was, you know, we li- went over a hill, came back down following this road, and we're socked in immediately. Couldn't see anything. I think it's time. I, I was about to say, I think this <laughs> oh, might be a dang, dang moment. <laughs> dang. <laughs> Seriously, Dude. though. Yeah, and I can't believe you're alive. I know. It was it was scary that um, – the student behind me was because I was thankfully, you know, in flight school, you're so trained for the worst things to happen that you just immediately start going into action. So when I realized that my instructor uh, just passed out, could not fly the aircraft, I, you know, did the two challenge rule immediately. Probably shouldn't have done the two challenge rule. Probably should have just taken controls, but yeah. I did what I, you know, thought I was supposed to. Um, started getting away from the deck. Had a general idea of where I should be going because we had briefed it beforehand. Um, and then I had the student in the back just like hawking my VSI and altimeter and was like, you're 10 feet off. I was like, I know, but that's fine. Like, let me just do this. And, uh, you know, thankfully he was like able to talk me through. He's like, okay, now you need to do this and you need to do this. And it was um, a really, a really scary situation. Crew and, management though. That's yeah. Oh, absolutely. So lucky for that. Definitely shouldn't have declared an emergency. I realize that now. I could have gotten an approach I knew how to input um, or, you know, just have them take me to the ground. Yeah, 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 for sure. Ground controlled approach or something like that, which I would have been able to manage. But um, did you tell ATC what your situation was at all? Um, A little bit. I so I pushed back on the approach when they first gave it to us. Mm -hmm. I was like requesting the ILS and they're like negative, can't give it to you. And I was like, and then my instructor had come back. He's like, I think I can figure this out. We had still like probably 30 miles to go or something. So it was getting to the, like, we had some like wiggle room in there. I had slowed back a lot. You know, we had some transit time where I could figure out what's going on. You know, if if we can't get this approach put in, then I'm, you know, going to declare an emergency. Crazy they didn't give you the ILS. I'd have been like broken arrow, (laughs) broken arrow. Yeah. I was, I was, I don't know why, uh, you would figure in bad weather. They would. Yeah. You would give an ILS rather than a GPS. Was it an was an IFR at the airport? Um, I broke out. Oh, you said you broke out at like three hundred. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. No, yeah. Uh, actually, no. Maybe it was three hundred above. It was three hundred above MDA. So I broke out with a plenty oh, of got time. It. So oh, it was got probably it. like I want to say it was like a thousand fifteen hundred. So it wasn't great, but it was like marginal. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, cool. that's crazy. Did they give you a medal? Anything? Did they give you anything when you successfully, <laughs> no. like, landed I, My instructor was like, I think you should pass the rest of flight school. He's like, I think you're good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and what happened to the instructor? Did he, like, uh, I know, mean, anything? obviously things happen. You know, it's nothing that he had done right. in order to um, get this. You know, we had all, he had done the exact same planning as all the other instructors. And, you know, we were kind of in, like, a string of 57s. Mm-hmm. So there was, like, for aircraft or something and you know he had done the exact same preparation it was just one of those freak yeah things that happened so he got the leans um, yeah i would say um, yeah his head was like on my shoulder so wow <laughs> it was just it was really bad um so I, for, I oh sorry go ahead i don't know why it was so bad for him and you know mm-hmm. i didn't feel anything um the student in the back didn't feel anything either we were perfectly fine um you know, it's hard to say in those types of things, but yeah. really, uh, yeah, I, I got, give him a lot of credit because he, you know, voiced it right away, said this is what happened. So many people learned from it. Um, and I think it's probably one of the stories that they probably tell it in flight school now. You should um, have graduated that day. <laughs> you should have been <laughs> like, you know, here you go. Yeah. Damn <laughs> good what, job. Uh, He's like, I think you'll, I think you'll be fine. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I got the leans pretty bad in an R44 instrument. Uh, stage ride at nighttime. Um, definitely, I felt like a thirty degree bank was straight and level. It's like the it's the craziest, weirdest feeling. So, yeah. for people at home, um, if you're listening and you don't know what the leans is or what spatial disorientation is, um, kind of how we were talking about earlier, IMC instrument meteorological conditions where you have really bad visibility outside of the aircraft. Um, a pilot needs to be able to orient themselves to the horizon. So you need to be able to see outside of the aircraft. And if you can't, you have to be able to know how to fly the aircraft on the instruments themselves. 
But what can happen is if a pilot's looking outside and all of a sudden, boom, they're in the soup, they're in IMC, they can't see anything. And now you don't have any reference to the horizon. You have no way to tell which way is up, which way is down. Turning might feel like you're going straight and level. Climbing might feel like you're slowing down. And then the pilot will put in uh, improper inputs into the aircraft and put themselves into an unusual attitude and potentially uh, crash the aircraft um, into the ground or into an obstacle. So the leans is, you know, if you think about the inner ear and the workings of uh, the inner ear, how you have the little... Semicircular canals. Semicircular canals with the... (laughs) Uh, what do you call them? Boom, knowledge. The little tiny hairs in the ear canals, they're called cilia, cilia, C-I-L-I-A. You have fluid inside of your ear canals and it goes over these little sensory hairs inside of your ear canals. So when you're turning or you're moving, that fluid moves around inside of your ear canal and it tells your mind basically what you're doing. So if you're in a prolonged turn for an extended period of time, all of that fluid will move to one side. And when you straighten out your head, it'll feel like you're you're still in the turn. turn. So the pilot will go back into the turn that they were originally in. Now they think they're straight and level, but they're actually not. They're back in the turn that they were in. To combat that, we learn how to fly on our instruments. And the number one thing uh, to fight that is to just trust your instruments over your body, which is really hard to do because your brain is telling you one thing, but your instruments are telling you another, right? Yeah, not bad. Dude, I haven't explained (laughs) the lean since I was a flight instructor. Yeah, not bad. (laughs) Sound pretty good. Anyways, um, so yay, that's the spatial disorientation lesson for the day. That's actually a really (laughs) dope story. Thank you for sharing that because that's like a huge learning lesson. Um, so glad that you're alive and here to share that story yeah, with no, us. Yeah, for real. Um, but definitely, if you find yourself um, in that situation, it's also why, you know, instrument rating is so important. I have people ask me, um, is it necessary to get an instrument rating? And I always just say yes, <laughs> just because it's, I think it's necessary for survival. Even if you are deciding to get a job that doesn't require you to have an instrument rating, that's a skill that could save your life someday, just like in this situation. So in the, in the Coast Guard, do you guys have like call signs? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, we do have yeah. call signs. Like mudslide yes. or, you know, um, thunder. Mine is not very cool. No. Actually- <laughs> <laughs> what's your, what's your call sign? It is peg leg. Peg. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you allowed? To, can you tell us the story of how yes, you earned yeah, it? Yeah, not, it's not too bad. It's just super, super embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I was at my transition course, which is the course that the Coast Guard uses to teach you how to fly the 65. Mm-hmm. And I was there and I had been studying because I had a test the next day. So I'd been studying for hours and I was sitting like cross-legged in my chair. <laughs> Gosh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> We could. <laughs> and my foot was asleep. And so, you know, sometimes when your foot's asleep, you like get up to walk around <laughs> yeah. to like make it. Well, it was so asleep that I didn't realize it was like completely upside down when I put all my weight on it. And I just fell like a log. <laughs> it was so bad. I ended up like breaking like a tendon or two in my foot. Oh my and gosh. Of course, of course, my commanding officer was there that week. And so I like crutched down to the wardroom to get my food the next day because I'm on full on crutches, can't fly or anything. And he just looks at me. He's like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I am so sorry. He's like, I'm bringing this back to the wardroom in Houston and this will be your call sign. <laughs> Fantastic. I hadn't even showed up to the unit yet. I already had like messed up in front of the CO. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Peg leg. Miranda peg leg fay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it. That's good. That's yep. awesome. Do you guys have it like on your helmets like they do in the movies or? Oh, we've got it on our, um, our name tags on our flight suit. Oh, really? No, oh, that's mm. so official. Yeah, man, that is official. <laughs> There's no getting away from your call sign at mm. that point. It can't would, be changed to anything cooler. <laughs> Not unless you do something even more embarrassing. <laughs> we were talking about uh, call signs with another person that we interviewed, you know? And his name was Rain. And I was like, hmm. I thought he didn't want to do training in the rain. <laughs> That's why they called him Rain. He wouldn't tell us the story, though. He said that you needed to, we needed to get a few beers in him before he would come out with it. Yeah. 
that's how most of them are. Thankfully, mine's just embarrassing because yeah. I did something stupid. But most of them are like, they're all acronyms for something. And it's not nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never realized that call signs were acronyms. Me neither. That, Especially yeah. the, the cooler they sound, the worse they actually are. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, mine wouldn't be that cool then. Mine, if I could pick my own, it would be like Mexicutioner. <laughs> <laughs> He always thinks you can't pick your own though. I was about to say you can't pick your own call sign because then they'll make up a really bad one for you. Be like, dude, this guy, the audacity to try to make up his own call sign. And if you like yours too much, they'll take it away from you. Oh, really? Oh, Oh, no. So if you like it, you just have to pretend like you hate it. (laughs) Oh, this is awful. What if you just got dead embroidered in your tags though? (laughs) You're like, I just made these. (laughs) Damn it. Got to do them over again. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. And you stop looking you know, at you guys. Jose, like once the giggle button gets switched on this guy, he literally can't stop. <laughs> exactly. How many pilots are you stationed with? Are you guys all uh, friends? Do you hang out outside of work? Yeah, we're super close. So there's 16 pilots at Air Station Houston. And, um, it's just a tight knit family all around. So, um, all of us are very close friends and everything. How many females? There are three females. So there's two of us currently there and we have one, um, that's about to report. So very excited to have her. Cool. Do you get to talk to her before she comes on board? Like, are you guys Um, in touch? She's been added to our group chat. So we've been messaging a little (laughs) bit, but, um, haven't met her yet. I've heard fantastic things. I've heard she's a great pilot. So. Really excited about that. Did she come with the call sign already as well? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't. <laughs> have you, give, have you given one to somebody yet? No, we, I didn't, I don't think I made up any. Um, I suggested somebody should get theirs taken away from them because they liked it too much. Mm. And that happened. Mm. So <laughs> I would have hated you. If I was, yeah. if I, if I was the one Not that happy. liked mine out and like you uh, ratted me out, you're that I'd girl. Been like, <laughs> I'm on to you. <laughs> oh, it wasn't just me. It was like a joint effort. There was oh, yeah. multiple of us that were like, this guy needs to change it. He's, got, he's gotten too cocky. <laughs> Gotta knock him down a peg. No, so, for sure. A peg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but a bump. <laughs> so, when I was going through my first uh, turbine job and um, I was transitioning from doing, you know, flight instruction in R22 into um, an EC-130, and I'm flying along. We're going, like, 120. And the guy hadn't done any training with me in regards to, like, auto-rotating or anything like that. He just straight up gave me an engine failure. And in an R-22, the last, like, two years of me flying, it's you punch the deck with the freaking collective, right? You just freaking you slam it down. Well, come to find out, it's a little different when you're going 120 in a turbine helicopter. <laughs> you don't have to slam down the collective. <laughs> so when he said engine failure, it was such a trigger word. My arm was freaking spring-loaded still, and I just punched the deck, and we literally went into this, like, low gravity. Our asses were about 10 inches off the seat. <laughs> we were like, whoa! <laughs> and then when it finally caught the air, like, everything shook. Like, I thought I broke the helicopter. This is like my first training flight in a turbine helicopter and he just looks at me and he was like dude i have controls all right flame out so then like from that on he just called me flame out and it didn't really like catch on because no one really knew what it, that was about but this one guy just called me flame that was chris gagne mm. yeah so <laughs> that would have been a good one for a short stint i know i was like that's actually kind of a cool name <laughs> i'll take out. it not the worst one in the world yeah, flame out. <laughs> but yeah i totally thought i freaking broke the helicopter uh luckily i did not <laughs> lesson learned uh, when you're not uh, flying around saving lives, uh, what do you like to do in your off time? What do you do for fun? What do you do in your spare time? Is there anything that you're super passionate about? Yeah, I have. Um, I've been super passionate about the Big Brothers Big Sisters program for a really long time. Um, you know, like I talked about earlier, um, mentorship has meant so much to me. I've been able to, you know, get to where I am because of the um, 
women that have taken me under their wing and taught me what they know and given me advice and encouragement as I've gone on. And um, I've recognized that and seen how powerful it can be. And so with Big Brothers Big Sisters, I get to be that for someone else. And it's just been awesome. It's a nationwide, um, you know, a nationwide volunteering service. So any place I move with the Coast Guard, I can find a little there and be able to invest in my community and be able to invest in one person's life and just provide them encouragement. So it's been phenomenal. Um, I have two littles now. I had one in Pensacola when I was going through flight school. Um, she's since graduated high school and is doing great. And I still talk to her a lot. And then I have um, a really small little now, and she is just a seven-year-old ball of sunshine. And Aww. it's just really fun to, you know, get to invest in both of them and um, yeah, give back what That's has great. been given to me, which is awesome. Do they match you with a little that wants to be a pilot someday or anything like that? Or is it just a random, randomly selected? Uh, well, it depends mentor. on the needs of the area. So um, if they have a little, it's a lot of personality matching. Mm-hmm. So um, my little in Pensacola was very shy and I am not. So yeah. they were like trying to, you know, build her confidence and get her a little bit out of her bubble. And um, I think it worked because she is fantastic. I mean, she's always been fantastic, but now she, uh, she talks up a storm and it's lovely. That's great. Um, and then here in uh, Houston, my little, she's seven year old, seven years old and says she wants to be a firefighter. And that's just the coolest thing in the world. Um, my best friend from back home is a female firefighter. So I've been able to like connect them and it's just really cool to be able to um, see somebody else that wants a job that's not particularly female dominated field um, and just to be able to encourage her in that. That's just such an invaluable thing for a little girl to have somebody like you and someone like your friend who gives their free time to, yeah, to give encouragement and to just be a a presence in their life, um, somebody to aspire to and that you're able to connect this little girl who wants to be a firefighter with a female firefighter. And now she has this role model in her life that she can look up to and be like, okay, yeah, like it's probably like solidifies her dream to see that it's something that's possible for her as a girl. And I definitely think that's something, you know, in the last couple of years that I've seen a lot more young people, young girls wanting jobs that are kind of in the male dominated industry. It's, there's definitely a shift happening. Definitely a shift. I think there's more role models like you and your friend and yeah, getting to show what's possible. Um, amazing work that you do with Thank that. You. So. And selfishly, it's pretty fun for me too. Cause you get to, you know, pretend to be a kid for a little bit, which is always fun. Heck yeah. Bring out that inner child. Exactly. So you're from Indiana. You know, I knew like a bunch of people that I was stationed with that hadn't even seen the ocean before and they were from the Midwest. Was that the case for you? Did you join the Coast Guard without ever having seen the ocean? No. So I knew the ocean and my dad had gone to the Naval Academy. So like I knew about the academies. I still didn't really know what the Coast Guard was. I was like, oh, it's like water police. Yeah. Which is like not wrong, but it's not wrong. I yeah, yeah. I, I always heard it was like uh, lifeguards on steroids. That's what people told me. When I was yeah, which I guess I'm a lifeguard with a helicopter. I would say, but yeah, yeah, cool. But it, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't really understand what we did until yeah. I went to the academy, um, and you know got like did the summers where I was working in the Coast Guard and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think we have like one. Coast Guard Station in Indiana, and it's up on the lakes. So, oh, that, I didn't even know there was one in Indiana. I didn't yeah. know that either. That's crazy. Yeah, a lot of people don't leave lake stations. <laughs> it's like they they stay there forever. Yeah, like for sure. Lake Tahoe and any of the Great Lakes. Yeah, good luck ever getting a billet there. You know, to... or people that fly up there too. Um, my girlfriend's at Traverse City, Michigan. And they like land on the ice and stuff in a 60. I'm like, oh, that's cool. What, what are you doing? <laughs> Crazy. My first time flying up there was like out in Chicago. And I, I used to fly in the airlines. And um, flying over the like when we were coming on the approach, coming down, they set us up for like final, but we're over the Great Lake. I don't know which one it is next to Chicago, but you know, one of them. And it was like, I was pretty surprised when I saw it the first time. I was like, holy shit. Like, this is like the ocean out here. I can't even see the other side of the lake. I was like, oh, really? I was like what, kind of, what kind of lake is this? It looks like the ocean. It has waves and everything, too. It's weird. 
that so funny story when I was um, uh, flying towards in the Grand Canyon. I had we fly over Lake Mead, which is a huge lake uh, where that supplies all of the fresh water to Vegas and parts of Southern California. And um, I'm explaining this, you know, okay, well, they dammed off the Colorado River with the Hoover Dam and it created this lake reservoir. And one of my passengers looks outside and he goes, that's the ocean. And I was like, um, well, no, sir, that's actually Lake Mead. Uh, it's freshwater. And he goes, no, nah, that's the ocean. <laughs> and I, like, I kind of just like looked at him like, all right, bro, it's the ocean. <laughs> like, sure. And all the other passengers were like, what is this guy talking about? But he was so adamant. He's like, no. Nope. Ocean. Like, okay, you win. I'm not going to argue with you anymore. <laughs> like, cool. I guess we're flying over the ocean in the middle of the desert. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was super weird. Super weird. Before, uh, this is a side note. I don't even know, but like I just thought of it when you said Grand Canyon. There was like a, we always gave a safety brief, you know, before you get passengers in the helicopter. And I tell everybody to turn their phones on airplane mode. And like, you know, you see people do it. Some people don't. And we always got, like, this isolated turbulence on the other side of this back side of a mountain. <laughs> and every time, like, we hit it, I was like, who forgot to put their phone on airplane mode? <laughs> and I would look back, and I would always see one person like this. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's freaking brilliant. That's amazing. That's, that's so, such a good idea. I was like, yes, every time. I was that's like, yes. freaking hilarious. Uh, I'm anyway. going to use that next time I get to fly past I, I, just, I just thought of that. <laughs> we forgot to turn the phone on. Oh, oh, every time. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Uh, and then I, I got think, fired. Like one of the- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, This has been so enlightening and awesome. And I'm so happy that I got to chat with you because I have never talked to, actually, I've probably talked to a couple of Coast Guard helicopter pilots, but I definitely have never talked to a female Coast Guard helicopter pilot. So it was so awesome to get your perspective on things and congratulations on fulfilling your dream and getting to do this amazing work, saving lives and kicking ass out there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys, too. Um, it's been fun listening to your podcast, so I'm glad I got to be a part of it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> no, for sure, Senorita. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, that yeah. was so dope. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you're, you're pretty funny. Friggin' awesome. Feel so inspired by Miranda's story. She really put into perspective how much work it actually takes to become a Coast Guard aviator. You gotta really, really want it to put yourself through what it takes to get there and to make that long commitment. So kudos to Miranda for putting herself out there and going after what she wanted, you know? Oh, for sure. And, you know, it really drives home getting that instrument rating. You know, I can't tell you how valuable that is in saving your life or totally. getting you out of a jam. You know, it really builds that foundation of being a solid pilot. Solid pilot. Yes. Silent pilotering. Uh, No, 100%. You know, I, um, that's definitely a really good takeaway for people out there to. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. You know, not everybody has a parachute on a Cirrus. (laughs) Hey, I haven't started flying yet. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's true. True story. Well, anyways, you guys, again, I'm not going to, you know, drive down your throat again about liking and subscribing and all that shiznit. You guys, you guys know what to do. So we hope you join us uh, for the next episode and have a beautiful day out there. Peace. Bye.